Hi guys, welcome to yet another edition of the Red Wall Podcast. I'm your host as usual. My name is Marcelo Nostroza and I'd like to welcome you to episode number 99 entitled The Critic. Well guys, in this edition of the show, I sit down with social media film critic who posts his reviews on Facebook and Instagram. In this edition of the show, we discussed our love of filmmakers, the state of film today, and primarily we discussed the, the writer who brought us together as friends, my favorite writer of all time, Kevin Williamson. So with all that out of the way, I really hope that you guys enjoy my interview with Ethan Weeks. Welcome to the Red Wall, Ethan. It's a pleasure to have you here. It's a a pleasure to be on here. Thank you for asking me. Well, guys, um, of all the people that I've had on the podcast, this is pretty close to being my golden egg. Not not exactly my golden egg. See, the thing is... The, the thing about me and Ethan is that we've been trying to connect for a while. Yeah. And, uh, you know, circumstances had it that we weren't able to do that, but we recently were able to work something out and we're here now talking for the first time ever. So uh, would you like to tell them initially how we met each other? Yeah, sure. I'd love to. I'd love to. Um, yeah, I know that uh, I... Obviously, well, both you and I have one of the same favorite screenwriters, Kevin Williamson. And on Facebook, I looked up groups, and I think yours was a... I I know you had a group. I don't know if it was a private group or how it was set up. Um, Because I know it was about, what, I think it was four, three or four years ago that we started talking to each other on there. I, I, I know that you, you're the head of the group, the Kevin Williamson group on there. And, uh, um, I joined that and we, we kept in touch. I created that group way back, way back when a couple, six or seven months before the vampire day, the, the vampire diaries came out. So, Uh, so that tells you how far back that group goes. uh, And, and that was the first group that I ever created on Facebook. And the main reason why I did that is because I wanted to meet like-minded people such as yourself who had the passion for Kevin's work in a way that in a way that I wasn't able to get access to at that point because I wasn't on Twitter yet. Or I wasn't even I wasn't even on Instagram at that point. But but the interesting thing about me is yeah. is that every person I've met in my life or in, in, in my in my young adult life, I've met through something that I love in pop culture. Everybody that I know has a connection to something that I love to do or something that I love to watch. I think that's very unique to me, uh, per se. What is it about Kevin's work that speaks to you on a personal level? Scream to me, I'd say the first two screams, the he's the dialogue, the situations, the characters, I mean, it's really special stuff. I mean, I, I was in 
I, I was 13 years old when the first Scream came out, I believe. So I think I was in, I think I was late in middle school, you know, um, possibly first year of high school. And yeah, when I, when I saw that, that first Scream, I was like, this is, this is definitely something special here. And, uh, then I remember, I think that's when, you know, soon after Dawson's Creek started in what I believe, 97. Um, and you got, I know what you did last summer, you know, around that same time too. And yeah, I started watching Dawson's Creek and seeing how, again, he was great with the dialogue, the characters, the situations. And I know what you did last summer. Um, I mean, I know what you did last summer. I still, I, I can see how it's unique, you know, from his writing point of view. I don't think the film's as great as, like, say, Scream or Dawson's Creek, yet you could still see those Kevin Williamson signature, you know, things about him. Uh, and yet there's kind of, there's a smartness to to his dialogue and it's witty, yet it doesn't come across as like impressed with itself at all, which I think is quite a compliment. Like it really, like I, I think if somebody else tried to even try to get close to that, like it would come across as trying to be, you know, witty and intelligent with its style. And it is just, it's natural with the way he does it. And I think that that's what's, what's really special about, about his writing. And, and I like the faculty a lot too. And, um, the following, I loved that show. Um, I've only seen a little bit of the Vampire Diaries. Uh, I like Hidden Palms too. Um, I, I'd have to say though, this, this, the first two screams is what meant the the most to me. How about you? How did you? Um, well, my story with Kevin has a unique bend to it. The first time that I ever saw Scream, I got invited to a high school graduation party from one of my friends. Nice. And they had the bright idea of showing Scream on VHS. That that that, yeah. sh that sh shows you how old I am. Um, but at that time, my life wasn't really focused. I was just a kid. I didn't have wow. any I didn't have any aspirations to do anything, really. And I sat there and I watched it and I can remember that film scaring me to death. Yeah. I was around, but then again, I was focused on other things when Scream 3 hit it big, right? Yeah. And for some reason, I had heard a, I had heard a piece of music from the soundtrack and I, I wanted to get the soundtrack, but I was enamored by the um the 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 adult warning on the soundtrack but again i had no idea who kevin was i had no idea what the screen franchise was i was a, i was just enamored with the music but years later when i graduated high school towards the junior and senior year of high school i really started to get focused and i said to myself i want to be a novelist and that's what I wanted to be, but I had no idea how I was going to go about that. Uh -huh. So I graduated from high school because I'm a disabled individual. Uh, six weeks before, six or seven months before 
my class graduated, all the counselors were meeting with their individual students, asking them where they were going to go to college. And right or wrongly, my counselor, my counselor didn't meet with me because she thought that I wasn't going to go anywhere with my life. So it's safe to say that nobody gave me a fair shot to do anything with my life. So I, you know, I, I left, you know, I, I left high school. I had to apply to colleges on my own. Nobody helped me at all. I was home one day, bored to tears, looking for something to watch. And I came across this program where these two people were in the middle of the road. And this guy admitted the love, admitted his love for this girl in the middle of the road. And he, he ended up kissing her, right? And then she had this giant philosophical conversation about it. She had this freak out about it. And those two people happened to be Pacey Whittier and Joey Potter. And then on the local channel that I was watching it on, what would happen is they would run the seasons concurrently, right? Yeah. So I started watching the season from that point. I made it to the end of that season. And then they started all the way back from season one. Yeah. And I once we got to season one, I really fell in love with the writing, the dialogue, and the character of Dawson Leary because yeah. I never I never had the type of friendships that I saw depicted in Dawson's Creek. That's quite a yeah. That I can definitely understand what you're saying. Being a disabled individual, I never had that close that that close knit group of friends. I found a sense of magic in Kevin's yeah. writing. And that's yeah. and that sense of magic made me say to myself, fuck it, I don't want to be a novelist. I want to be a screenplay writer and I want to I want to write for TV. The seeds were already planted for me wanting to write for TV because the first show that I ever watched on TV from week to week was Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Right. So I grew up on a diet of Joss Whedon. I am so unbelievably thankful to Kevin because because of him I get to do something that I love to do and I don't want to yeah. do I don't want to do anything else with my life. I don't have a backup plan. There is no backup plan. It's either it's either this or nothing. Also being being a disabled person I have a unique way of looking at the world. When I write, I don't write from a disabled aspect. I don't like writing disabled characters. But my hope is uh, perhaps a disabled kid who is similar to me and who has similar circumstances to me can maybe reach a little bit higher and maybe see that just because of his circumstances, it doesn't mean that it's not possible for him to reach above his station. I owe my entire writing career to Kevin Williamson, Joss Whedon, and J.J. Abrams. The real interesting thing that you do on Facebook, and you and you do it sporadically, which is fine, which is totally fine, but you write full-length, really in-depth reviews about classic, <laughs> about about classic TV shows and classic movies. And I was interested, could you give me an origin story of how you started to do that? When I was growing up, I, I obviously I, I loved film. I got a few books like that were review books. Um, trying to think, I think I was 
possibly in eighth grade, ninth grade, that were, uh, you know, like film review books. And I, I liked reading like Roger Ebert. Um, and I was like, all of a sudden, like when I was watching films, I did start like really critiquing like, you know, is this well-made? Is it not well-made? Is it working? Is it not working? And then after a bit, I did write for a school newspaper. Uh, I, I did film reviews for them. Um, and when MySpace started, I, I think it was like 2004 that I got on there on MySpace. I started writing reviews on there too. And then Facebook and then this Instagram, I, I love how I can post on Instagram and Facebook, the film reviews and yeah, do occasional television write-ups too on sometimes lesser known shows. And, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's a lot of fun and it's, um, it makes it a little bit challenging, you know, like watching stuff and trying to see what's, what works and what doesn't, and then doing a write-up on it. And, uh, I try to do it a decent amount, though I know what you mean by sporadically. It's like sometimes I'm not really posting any for a bit, and then sometimes, you know, I post like five or six reviews a week. Uh, yeah, I just, I love doing that. The only unfortunate thing is I, I don't have a website for it that is my own or, you know, because I'm not that great with technology, unfortunately, so that's the only thing that's kind of holding me back a little bit. So I guess I could look forward to try to look more into trying to get somebody to help me set up a site or something like that. And, uh, yeah, I've been doing reviews for years and, um, I, I love doing it. Um, I just wish I could reach more of a audience. Have you ever thought about submitting one of your articles to a website like Collider, Deadline, you know, Scream Rant, anything like that? I have occasionally. Um, haven't gotten much much feedback. I did send to the Boston Globe once, and a Ty Burr, who's one of the film reviewers there, took the time to read my review and and actually did write back a nice nice thing about it. And that's probably one of the yeah that's that's one of the best things that's happened with this. Unfortunately, only the past. I mean, I know this isn't that long of you know the time I've been writing. Uh, the past year. The, the chronic line, jeez, uh, oh, hurts barely even, you know, like barely even moving around and stuff like that. I just haven't had as much energy. In our many conversations that we've had over the years now, I was very surprised to hear that you suffer from Lyme's disease. Can you go into just a little bit about that? I think it was, uh, let's see, 2000. I think it happened in like 2014 that, that I was having the symptoms. I don't remember being bit. That's what's weird. I, I don't remember. I'm, I'm not around uh, a lot of grass. I'm not around, you know, like a lot of trees or whatever. I mean, I was going to school. Um, I don't know when it happened. That's what's weird. And then all of a sudden I started having these serious pains in my uh, my knees. My left knee was swollen. My neck hurt. My back hurt. Uh, hands hurt. Great stuff. And then I, I was actually thinking I was having. I didn't necessarily think it was Lyme disease from the beginning because I didn't remember being bitten. 
So I was seeing a chiropractor for a short amount of time. And then he goes, have you looked into it? Like this could possibly be Lyme disease. I go see a doctor. I get testing, came back negative, um, which supposedly it actually doesn't mean anything. You can get negative tests for, for Lyme disease and it cannot mean, it means you, you can still have it. And a lot of doctors, unfortunately, don't like to talk about Lyme disease, and that was the situation with one that I was seeing. Um, and then I finally got a doctor, great doctor. Um, unfortunately, he retired recently. And you, you take a you take medication, and it's a lot of medication, and it it helps. It doesn't go away once you get it, unfortunately. Um, but it 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 can help the amount of pain and stuff like that. All of a sudden, you know, like after all these years of having it not be as bad, except some symptoms here and there, the beginning of last July, oh, it got real bad again. Just all the symptoms back and to the point where you have trouble even walking, getting out of chairs. I had trouble getting in my car. I had trouble getting out of my car because of, because of this disease, it's like um, the, the, the pains in the knees are terrible, and the the amount of medication again that you take is quite, it, yeah, it, it, it's it's a hell of a disease, and it's it's too bad that it's not uh, more doctors don't like even talking about it. What is it about the disease that they don't like approaching to their patients? Do you think? I. I think what it is, like, when I did read up on it at first, is that its symptoms are so different for each person. That's probably another thing that kind of makes it difficult to, to, to talk about, like, because it's such a, like, because of the symptoms being so different in, in like, each person, um, then I guess it's kind of hard to put down, like, you know, like more facts about it or something like that. I mean, it, it was difficult to even find a, a specialist uh, for this disease. Like I was traveling an hour each way um, for years, you know, like once every few months to, to see somebody about this. Um, I, I don't know if possibly, if possibly that's why. And the fact that tests can come back you know, negative and the person still have it, that can make it difficult to, uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure, I'm not sure what else. It definitely seems like a complex disease because of this though. Wow, that is so weird. Uh, weird and interesting. As a person who writes film, you know, reviews for TV and film, you seem to, you seem to have a little bit of a problem with big franchise temple superhero films what is yeah. it what is it to you that bothers you so much about these films <laughs> i was wondering where you're going i had no idea for a bit um it is as you're a fan of superheroes right yeah 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 right um i i i used to love superhero films like uh like the first two superman films with christopher reeve like i mean they're so good they seem like they don't even seem like superhero films they're dealing with such like uh much better themes and everything like that and my 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 main problem is i remember going to see 
uh, Logan, which was a great film. It was it was a great film. For some reason, though, when I went to go see that, and I was seeing more trailers for more superhero films coming out, it's like something clicked in my head that I'm like, there's too many coming out at once. It 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 like I just started to get like it, it started becoming too repetitive, and I really think it. I really think the problem is that it seems like so many are coming out. And there's so many in, you know, like the Marvel universe, there's so many in the DC universe. And then I see that there's, you know, like, uh, uh, what, like 40 films coming out in the Marvel universe for the next so many years. Mm. Uh, I, I, I can admit that, yeah, I'm probably a little close minded about it. I, there's probably stuff that, you know, maybe if I actually made myself watch some of this stuff more that, you know, Maybe I understand. I, I, I just think, yeah, my main, my main issue, I think, is that it did seem like too many were being released at once. And even other superhero fans, even though they aren't tired of them, they seem to even admit that, yeah, there seems to be too many, many released at once. Like, they would seem like they'd be like one every three weeks coming out. And it's like, doesn't that seem a little overkill? I don't know. I, I, I. Do you, do you agree with any, like any of that? Do you think there's too many coming out, or, or are you always excited for them yourself? I think that what you're experiencing might be superhero fatigue. <laughs> and, and because you have superhero fatigue, to you it looks like they come out every third week. Oh, uh, right, right, right. At this point in my life, I, choose, I, I pick and choose what superhero films I'm most interested in. Uh-huh. And I don't go see all of them, right. right? Because I also watch superhero stuff on TV. Yeah. So I am that type of person that has to be like that because I am somewhat oversaturated with superheroes that I have to pick and choose what I want. So I wow. find that's an interesting one. Okay. So yeah. so I find just me me personally, if I pick and choose what I want, I don't get I don't get overwhelmed. But that's just me. And I respect that you're a fan. You know, I respect that you're a fan. I, I know you don't need my respect over it still, though. That, that's, I, I see that, you know, I've seen you post stuff about, like, you do, like, Superman and stuff like that. And I'm like, right. I, I understand, you know. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I I have seen a few that were, like, way more impressive than I would expect. Like, Captain America, the Winter Soldier was really well done, I thought. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a really good one. Yeah. Um, I love Nolan's Batman trilogy. Like that was, that was really good. I haven't seen this new The Batman. Oh, you should because you would like this new Batman film because this this new Batman film. First of all, I need to mention that um, that Matt Reeves. I Matt have a Reeves, I, director. Yeah, yeah. I I have a bias for Matt Reeves. Yeah, he's a good one because <laughs> because Matt because Matt Reeves was he co-created my second favorite TV show of all time. So. Uh, so so when it comes to Matt, I can't I, I try to be right down the middle, but I often sway towards one He's involved with Felicity, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. He was. He okay, was. Yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you a quick story about Felicity that uh, you might yeah. find you might find Great interesting. Yeah. But uh just on the Batman for a minute. You right. seem you seem like the type of person that likes that would like uh a, a a superhero film with its feet with his feet. Per, uh, permanently planted in reality 
And that is the type of Batman film that Matt Reeves created. The yeah, Batman... I've heard it's like I've heard it's like fin- David Fincher dark. Like this is yeah. really I'm like, wow, okay. Yeah. That's serious. Like <laughs> yeah, the only, look it. Yeah. The only thing that I will tell you is that it's pretty long. Yeah, I've heard. So you're but, at three hours, right? I guess. Right, right. So if you one day venture into that, I think that you would really enjoy it because it's not your typical superhero right. fare. Right. It doesn't look good. Yeah. Um. Now, um, when it comes to Matt Reeves, yeah, he created a, a show back in the ninety ninety eight, the year, the year, um. That Dawson came out. He created a sh- right. he co-created a show called Felicity with uh, my favorite writer director working today, um, right. uh, J.J. Abrams. And the thing about Felicity is, a couple years ago, I went through the first real heartbreak of my life, and this was like eight or nine years ago. Okay. And about for about two years of my life, I felt like I wanted to die. Oh, jeez. And. I remember those who were close to me saying, you, you know, you got to get over this. You got to get back in the game. You got to pick yourself back up again. But I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't able to do it. I just, I it just. Feels did, like words being thrown at you. Yeah. I was, you know, you know, I, those, those felt like giant rocks being thrown over right. my head. Right. And it wasn't until a good friend of mine said, listen, I know that a billion people have tried to get you out, but I'm not going to try and get you out. What I'm going to try and do is I'm going to suggest something to you. Yeah. And she suggested this show, Felicity, this show Felicity to me. And as I started watching the show, right. it was like the show, it was like the show physically put me back together piece by piece. Wow. So I, I owe a lot to, JJ and Matt, because I often yeah. say, I often say when 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 I when I tell this story, I, I often say a version of this: Matt and JJ saved my life. Yeah, wow. Matt and JJ brought me back to life. That's really nice. Yeah, that you connect, you can connect with a series or something that helps you during such a terrible time. Yeah, I love superhero right. films because I have a I have a personal connection with superhero films and the reason why i like superheroes in the first place is because i grew up watching buffy for god's sakes so 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 that should tell you something i love the first three seasons of buffy and the seventh season oh which is strange to some people they're like what you know it's like that's crazy so like the seasons are kind of like there's i i i love the first three seasons and the seventh those are that's crazy because a lot of a, a lot of Buffy fans who I know say the seventh season is like heresy, <laughs> like, uh, like like the last like like, like 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 they usually say they usually say seasons one two, three and maybe five, but yeah. <laughs> but but the last thing that anybody says is season seven and I'm like season seven, we gotta get you checked out. Yeah, and unfortunately, it's been so long since I've seen it now that that if you ask me specifics as to why, no, it's, it, I it, don't know. It's fine. Just, no, it, 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 it's totally, yeah. it's totally fine. But that was that's really that's really shocking to me. Uh, <laughs> I just I just need a I I just need a um a moment to to get to 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 to, to, to process that. You know, when you were growing up, what did you want to do with your life? 
I definitely wanted to be a filmmaker. I, I, I'll be, I, yeah, I'm trying to think which, like, when that would happen. Because in high school, I definitely had that. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I've always been a film fanatic, and I loved music, too. I was in a band for a little bit and stuff like that in high school. Um, I... The, the filmmaker stuff, I that was more like uh, when I started college and stuff. And, um, you know, I, I saw a few films, too, that were like, you know, I saw it. I, I literally felt like I was like hitting the stomach. Like it just they really hit me. Like, like the first time I saw Raging Bull, like after I watched that, I was like in silence after for a while. Like I was like, I remember being on the couch and being like, wow, that's how a film can really, that can hit you emotionally. Um, Francis Ford Coppola's The Conversation, Brian De Palma's Blowout, Oliver Stone's Talk Radio. Like it, it, I, I saw those and were like, wow, this is really, this is real cinema, you know, like with drama and stuff like that. And, uh, I'm I'm like you. I don't know what else I want to. I don't know what else I want to fall back on because, like, basically, my interests are film, television, and music, and especially film and TV. I want to have my own company from the ground up, and I want to sort of make micro independent films. It's not it's, nice. it's not because I don't want to work in the big Hollywood system, but the yeah. films that I want to make aren't your traditional. Hollywood fair, right? right. And because and, and because of my disabilities, I can't work in a regular system that okay. that you might be able to work in or that anyone else might be able to work in. So I wanted to I wanted to rig the game and I wanted to make the game accessible for myself. And the only way that I knew to do that was to make my own company and become my own boss. I'm going to try my hardest to do it, and then that will lead to bigger things. You mentioned, uh, you know, uh, Martin Scorsese, uh, Coppola, uh, De Palma. Who's your Who's your favorite uh, writer director? Uh, my favorite director is Tony Scott. I don't think he wrote anything though. I went to go see Domino eight times in theaters. Like it was in a two week, only two weeks. Like it was his, it's his style is like, it, it is just, yes, it's nuts. I'm, I'm guessing, you know, since you, yeah, you, you said, you said it's an interesting, you know, uh, the, the way he uses color, um, the, the way he uses so many different camera stocks and yeah, I, I just, I really love his style. I've gone to see plenty of his films, like, repeatedly, because they're just, like, they're, like, addictive at times. They're just, yeah. Mm -hmm. Tony Scott's my favorite. I, uh, some other directors that I love who also do write um, is, like, Michael Mann. Mm -hmm. um, I like Oliver Stone, John Carpenter, Wes Craven, um, John Woo, Brian De Palma. Mm -hmm. I like James Cameron a lot. Who I know you like Cameron too. Yes, I do. I do. I do like Cameron, but I think, I think, I think James has gone a little nuts. But that's besides the point. Yeah, I know. I'm the reason why I reacted the way I did when you mentioned Tony Scott 
is because it's, yeah. a, it's an interesting choice because when we when when I talk to film fanatics to you know I don't hear the word Tony Scott a lot. Yeah, and, no, no, I hear you. No, and you mentioned um, that you like his use of color and things like that. Like my favorite Tony Scott film, which is one, which is one that I don't think it's mentioned a lot in conversations about him. But my favorite film of his is hands down Crimson Tide. Crimson Tide is great. Yeah, but you know, again, I like the, I like that, like I like the naval feel to it. I like the claustrophobic okay. feel to it, and I think that Gene Hackman and Denzel Washington. Act circles around each other in that film. I have to mention Walter Hill. Walter, okay. I have to mention Walter Hill and David Fincher. I'm sorry, I had to throw those out there too. Walter Hill. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Fincher, I get. Crimson Tide. I think my love of that film comes from my love of Star Trek, because uh-huh. yeah. because if you look at it, Star Trek is submarines in space. Yes. Um, you know, you know, it, it, you know, the naval aspect to Star Trek is very is, is extremely is extremely apparent and extremely visible. I do love um, some of the Star Trek films. I I actually love the motion picture, the first one, which is like it has the pacing of like it's like an art house film, <laughs> science fiction, yet it works for me. I love it, and I love. I think a lot of people do love Star Trek Four. Mm-hmm. I love that one. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked First Contact a lot. I've liked what I've seen on the Paramount Plus of the new shows. Mm-hmm. I I haven't been like a a diehard Trekkie. Um, I've never been against it. I I just I I'm just kind of like I occasionally watch them and 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 really do admire what I see. With the current state of the industry right now and and the the whole COVID thing that basically killed the industry basically i mean it's still functioning but it's really you know put a put a damper on the films that we've been able to see over the past two years or three years now whatever it's been do you think that the future of the low budget film is viable anymore to 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 be released to be released in like a giant feeder chain or do you think those films would be better suited playing in independent movie feeders or uh, on streamers such as Netflix or or our uh, Amazon Prime or uh, one of those? Yeah, you know, I I occasionally have thought of that recently, and yeah. With when the pandemic started and and even a bit before that, I just yeah, there's so much there's so much streaming, there's so much, and how quickly even um, I mean, how quickly do what is it? The films go to theaters and then they're already on Blu-ray. What is it like? It seems like a month and a half later, if that. Yeah, well, now they have now they have this new forty five day window. So, a film. Is that it? Forty five. I was just guessing. Like, yeah, yeah. That sounds about right. Okay. Yeah. yeah so, so let so let's say let's so let's take the Batman for example, right? The yeah. Batman had a theatrical window of forty five days. Yeah. And then on the forty sixth day, it was put on HBO Max and it was put for purchase on v, the the VOD services, uh, but but. But here's the key. The theatrical window, as we know it, is shrinking dramatically from what it used to be. Yeah, I, I, 
this is a great time to say this. I mean, I remember, and I'm guessing you do too. Well, like, I don't know how close we even are at the same age. I'm 34. Aha, uh-huh, that's funny. I'm 34 too. I just learned to. Oh, okay. I, I, I thought you were younger than me. No, no, I, no, I, uh. You know, when you're in school, I'm like, oh, all right. So he is around the same. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you must remember when, you know, a film goes to theaters and then it took what? Three months. Seven, eight months to go to, to VHS? Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, holy shit. <laughs> like, I mean, that is like, you think back to that, it's like, if you wanted to see a film bad when it came out to theaters... You had to go multiple times. you, you got to see it because you're not going to see it for an almost, yeah, for a long, yeah, like seven months or something afterwards. Whereas, I mean, I think I started noticing even the difference... Uh, I think it was 2003, 2004, um, it would be four or five months later, it would be on DVD. And now, yeah, we're at this point where it's like, when it's done playing in theaters, it's on Blu-ray. It's like, this is ridiculous. Like, yeah, I, Mm -hmm. (laughs) what what a difference from when we were younger. And I have wondered if that does hurt, um, yeah, like seeing there's so many film independent films that are video on demand real quickly and stuff like that. I I I think it's probably I would think it is much tougher for the independent films to make much profit. Right? Yeah. I think you 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 know I think the true I think the true problem lies in like it's today. Uh, today it's 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 easier to get the equipment that you need to make a film more than ever because I could take the phone that I'm talking That's to you right. on right now and shoot a film if I want. The main pro the the main problem is getting that film seen by somebody and then getting mm-hmm. proper distribution for that film. Mm-hmm. And then another another thing that a lot of people overlook is marketing. Yeah, I heard that's like possibly the most important thing with the project actually with film yeah marketing market. marketing can either make or break your film yeah i believe it and then and then the last thing that is really important also is word of mouth yeah but here's the thing with hollywood these days or or, or with the major studios that i see just just by my account Hol- uh, major hollywood studios aren't concerned aren't aren't interested in making brand new ip they just want to. They just want to lean back on things that they know will be successful. So it's like it's like Hollywood to some extent has forgotten how to be. It's it, it's like. Creative, I guess. Yeah, that's the word. To some yeah. extent, it it to some extent, you know, oh, yeah. these these big studios have forgotten the magic of the movies. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know. Now look, 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 look! I'm not saying, look, I'm not saying that I don't love these remakes, these reboots, these superhero films, but I do, I do. But I love going into a theater and seeing a film like, uh, like, like Licorice Pizza, or The Northman, right? Oh yeah, so you're, yeah, you're, you're well rounded with what you. Yeah, yeah, yeah I am. Yeah. But you know, you know, but you know, you know. But then again, the other day I went to go see the 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 Northman, the new Robert, I- the new Robert right. Eggers film, and there were five people in the theater, counting myself. Five people, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm like, this ain't good. <laughs> right. 
so you know you know so 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 maybe you know some of the solutions that i have wouldn't work either so by that token i have no right to criticize what what hollywood is doing right now or what they consider viable or what or what they don't so i don't i don't know how i would solve the problem but but i but i'm really concerned that hollywood is going to become complacent and they're going to forget the most important thing about making film and the most important thing about making film is imagination right and when you have yeah and when you have reboots and when you have sequels and when you have remakes the imagination is taken out of it because you have the blueprint right there right right so i, I read something not to cut you off but i just I, I read something i think it was entertainment weekly which i think is done now uh or some other magazines and it said recently like within the past month i've read at least twice that it said the only films that are coming out right now that are making profit are superhero films. They're the only things. And I was like, Jesus Christ. And I, I know, not just from someone's point of view who complains about them, like me, like, right. I, I think even the average, yeah, the average moviegoer would see that and be like, that's not good. The other thing that I do think that, um, that really contributes to that is that people like to see what they like to see, right? right? If if people like to see superhero films, it's like you know Maximus Meridius, right? Give the people what they want, right? Right. So I think I think as audience members to sort of correct this thing, we have to speak to Hollywood the only way that we can through what we go and see and what we go and support. If we go and support nothing but superhero films, that's what they're going to do. If we start to support the indie films and these more art housey kind of things, maybe, maybe the balance will be a little bit better. But then again, I watch uh, this movie pundit every week, every, you know, Monday through Friday. And he says that if you look at, if you look at the release schedule out of every year, more independent film is being made now than in, than at any point in history. Oh, I believe it. The problem is I believe it. that this is a problem. The problem is that these films do not have, again, it comes back to marketing or the attention to get in front of bigger audiences that might go see the, the latest superhero film, for example. So that's the problem. Yeah. It's, it's not the output. The problem is the reachability of these things. I have even thought too. It's like it's ridiculous the amount of films that are even released in, say, a month, a month's time. Like, I think it used to be like three movies a week. Like, you get your comedy, you get your drama, you get your action. Now it's like, yeah, if if you look it up, it looks like there's like fifty films released in a month. I mean, it's like, yet I haven't heard of most of them. Because I'm not seeing promotion. It's just like, mm-hmm. and probably maybe most of that stuff is that independent stuff that used to be able to be actually promoted a bit. We, we just, yeah, there's so much. I mean, the first thing that I do in the morning is I I read Deadline, Variety, and uh, uh, the, the Hollywood Reporter. And I live and breathe film and TV. So I, oh, yeah. so, 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 so I don't need to be told what's coming out. But the other thing is that some of the films that I want to see, I got to go like, I got to go like two hours in the wrong direction to go see them. I don't know what's going to happen in the next year. The likelihood is that nothing will happen. 
We'll all still be here and we'll all see these films. I don't know what Hollywood is going to look like in f five or six months. The streaming yeah. wars are getting hotter than ever. And I'm like, I love... How many shows do we need? That's nothing. How many shows do we need? They, they, they release too many even in one week. Again, I think it goes back to what I said about the way that I handle superhero films these days. I have come to the point where I have to pick and choose what I want to see. I have to see, like, I try to watch the pilot episode of most shows, and uh, that's been a little ridiculous as of recently with all these streaming services. To go back to my earlier point, you know, right. I just pick and choose what I want to watch. Right. And usually, what you know, 95% of what I watch is because a person that I that I, you know, uh, admire from a creative standpoint is behind the project. Right. I don't pick projects because of actors. I don't give a shit about actors. I don't care. <laughs> I care about I care about the people behind the scenes. I care about the people that you never see. We, we just said that it's really hard for independent film to be made, but these streaming services do give a landing spot that didn't exist when we were kids. That right. these, these streaming servers give a new platform for these creators that want to come up and tell stories. The problem is, again, it's visibility. That's the problem. And to mention, actually, this goes with this, another one of my favorite directors I didn't mention, William Friedkin. Okay? I mean, he said, I think in 2013, he said he's jealous of how we have it these days with, with YouTube and stuff like that. Like, how easily it is we can we can make a film and upload it onto YouTube and it can be seen by you know so many people. Whereas in the 1970s, it wasn't like that. I thought that was an interesting thing to 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 have been said. With like, it's like there's pros and cons to a lot of what's going on right now, and, and, and that at least that's a pro there. Yet, like you're saying, it's like you're lucky if it if there's so much stuff going on right now, you're lucky you can even be seen. You know, I think it's oversaturation of the market. The other thing that I find quite funny, all due respect, Martin Scorsese is a brilliant filmmaker, or Ridley Scott is a brilliant filmmaker, but I found it really interesting when they started to complain about their movies not making enough money. They started whining about getting the funding for their films, and I'm like, excuse me, sir. Wow, I didn't even know that. <laughs> I didn't know. I, I heard them complaining about film, you know, superhero films yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, like even for uh, Sherlock Holmes, they wanted to make a third one in that Guy Ritchie series, and yet Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law, they, they, need, they needed funding. You would think they'd have enough money. Like I just said, I have all the respect in the world for Martin Scorsese, right? Right. But if you want to make a film, sir, you have more money than God. Why don't you put some of your own money into your own project? Look, I, look, I really, really enjoyed his last film, but it's, it was too fucking long. Three hours? I mean, the Irishman. Yeah, I I love I I really it enjoyed. Hours, wasn't it? it was it was about two, three and a half. Yeah, yeah. So we can round it up to four. I think that Martin Scorsese, Ridley Scott, come from the old school of thinking. These guys were a part of the indie scene a long time ago. Oh yeah. And. I don't think that these guys have any interest in adapting to the times. I think they just want to rest on their laurels yeah. and, whine, and, and whine about things. The Last Duel, the latest Ridley Scott film, is wonderful. It's wonderful. The marketing for that film was awful. 
I believe it. That was one of those talking about going quickly to other things. That was on HBO in like, well, I guess that's maybe what you were saying with the 45-day thing. I, I don't know. It, it was on HBO like two months ago, and I'm like, this was in theaters two months ago, I thought. Like, I was like, what the hell? What I'm trying to say about uh, uh, Mr. Scott and uh, Martin Scorsese is that is that they they shouldn't whine about their films not making enough money. They, as filmmakers, they should adapt to the times that they're in, right? And be grateful that people still want to take meetings with them, and oh, still yeah. and still want to make the films they want to make. Hell, if it wasn't for if it wasn't for Apple, Martin Scorsese wouldn't have a home for his next film. Another filmmaker that I admire, uh, that I admire started whining about something similar. Soderbergh said, said something very similar. And I'm like, Soderbergh, you make like 10 movies in a year. What are you whining about? Yeah, and he's the type of guy that he made a whole film on his cell phone. I don't like filmmakers who whine. I like filmmakers who, M. Night Shyamalan is, is not one of my favorite filmmakers, but I respect him because he self-finances all of his films. Right. So his actual money is going into the film that he makes. Like like uh, his most recent film, right? Old. Do you know what he had to do to make that film? Do you know what he did? He financed his own home. Oh, I think I did hear, yes. I think I did hear that. But technically, if, the, if Old didn't work, he would have been living out on the street. There's no way that Martin Scorsese or a Ridley Scott or uh, or a Soderbergh is going to do that. I think my problem is the arrogance of some of these really talented people. That's what bothers me. Oh, I hear you. I wanted to say I, I do I really do love that on your podcast that you um you talk about specific episodes. Like each time you do, each time you do it, or uh, like okay, or or even two episodes at a time. Like I, I love that you do that because I notice with some people when they do they do talk about a show, it's like they talk about you know an entire season or something, and it's like I really love that you mention you you go that in depth to talk for you know forty five minutes to an hour about. A specific episode or two. I really love that you do that, and it doesn't seem like many do that. Comments about I don't get a lot of praise for Radio One Five. As a matter of fact, we've been oh, great. Thank you, and obviously you listen yeah. to the show. Thank you for doing that. Yeah. That show came about because I was so pissed that nobody talked about J, uh, about J.J. Abrams' older work. Uh, that really, really pissed me off, right. and and I saw a hole there that needed to be filled. Right, and I found a guy that felt as passionate as passionate as I did about the Bad Robot universe and JJ, and we got together and we made the show. Right, but I can tell. Look, I can tell you early on it was really bad. <sighs> I mean, we've gotten, you know, just now. I mean, we uh, we just we recently shot an episode just yesterday, and just now. Our audience is starting to grow, and we're and we're starting to see an uptake just now, like eighty something episodes in. Right. Um, so, with that being said, I really appreciate that you like the show and you like the format that we do because it took us a long time to find rhythms with each other and find the format that works best for us. As the executive producer and the creator of the show, that right. t- that touches my heart right there, man. Bring it on. 
animation thing for the uh, for the Red Wall podcast. What do you have on with Terry O'Quinn? A uh, good friend of mine drew that for me. I love Lost, so I still i i gotta get i i saw the pilot for that, and I still i i was really impressed with what I saw, and I know it impressed Tom Cruise enough to. I know he was impressed with Alias and Lost enough to hire him for. And I, I, I still, what I really remember from that pilot, which I think was a two-hour one, is when he has, what is it, he opens his mouth and it has the orange... The yeah, orange peel in his mouth. Yeah, like, that's such a... <laughs> yeah, like, when I saw that image, I'm like, this is like a, this should be an iconic type, you know, I remember seeing that yeah. when it came on. At the time, Lost was the most expensive TV pilot when it was made, yeah, at I the time. It. If you ever go back and watch the show, we will be a great companion piece. I'm really glad that you enjoy the show on a daily basis. I love that you're talking about, yeah, like specific episodes. Specific episodes at a time. It, it seems even more respectful. Yeah. Even more respectful of the amount of work that went into each and every episode of the show. When I'm on Instagram and I'm going through my newsfeed and I see that you post these and you're saying specific Thanks. episodes, I'm like, good. You know, it's like, that's great. I love that. I love Spielberg. Duh. Yeah, his. Uh, his blocking of scenes. My favorite Spielberg camera movement. That scene in Lincoln when he's talking to the cabinet. Uh-huh. And he's trying to get the cabinet to understand that he needs to he needs to bill um, abolishing slavery done with before he can vote on anything else. And it's him yeah. basically sitting in a room. It's Daniel Day Lewis, the greatest actor of all time. I don't care what yeah. anybody says. Yeah. Yeah. It's him sitting in a room talking to his advisors and the camera doesn't move at all it moves very very slowly yeah throughout the scene and at the end of the scene it it pans very slowly to down to into down to lewis's face with a close-up ever so subtly way that spielberg pushed in and moved the camera throughout the scene was just great his his directoral choices his blocking like you said his shot list and the way that he uses the camera to tell a story within itself is oh, in, yeah. is interesting. Berg, I, I've been waiting for Stephen to do a, a musical ever since uh, Temple of Doom in, in, in the 80s. So. I love Temple of Doom. That's actually my favorite Indiana Jones film. Oh, yeah? <laughs> and I know that's Spielberg's least favorite of his. Oh, no, I, I love Temple, man. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, uh, I mean, come on, dude. Uh, yeah. what, what's his face? The fucking, the priest guy who rips out the poor guy's heart is like, yeah. oh my God. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> bullshit. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. <laughs> PG, that's bullshit. Yeah. It's, a, it's the same thing. Look, look, it's just. It's it's the same argument that I get into with people who tell me that Jaws is PG. Bullshit. Yeah. If Jaws was if, if Jaws was what that is though, right? Yeah. What that is. Yeah. If Jaws was made today, it would be PG thirteen or R because of fucking uh, yeah, okay. or yeah. fucking because of fucking uh, Bernard Shark getting eaten by the shark. The MPAA. It's like I think we had G, PG, and R. Yeah. It was like, yeah. Yeah, I don't know, but um, yeah, Spielberg, Spielberg to me is Spielberg to me is the gold standard. Like he's the best director in history to me personally. 
because because right. Spielberg has done every genre. He doesn't. He hasn't done every, any every genre particularly well, but he can do anything. Just want to say thank you for coming on today, and it was a pleasure to finally get to sit down and talk with you. Is there anything that you would like to promote for anybody who may be listening to this? Um, on Instagram is uh, at Rage and Bull, and then it's an underscore. Feel free to follow me or. You know, that's where I post my film reviews on there. I just wanted to thank you, Ethan, for being on the show. And it was so much fun to talk to you today. Great talking to you, too. Thank you for having me. All right, guys, that'll do it for this edition of the Red Wall Podcast, episode number 99, entitled The Critic. Listen, before you guys go, if you guys like anything I do here on the show, I would appreciate a comment, a like, or subscribe on whatever podcast service you happen to be listening to me on at this point in time. But until next time, as always, I'll see you when I see you. The Renwall Podcast is a Balloonhead Productions presentation.